You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's Talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, right now is a transition point in sports and the OBS podcast. So we're going to let you know what's going to be new on this season's college football gridiron. We'll handicap the men's draw of the U.S. Open, and we'll recap some of our favorite Season 8 OBS highlights. And then before we take our Labor Day break, we got to get into that listener mailbag and hear letters from regulars PJ and Kenny, along with first-time caller, long-time listener Catherine, plus two-minute drill, it's the slap heard around the world. No, (laughs) not at the Oscars, at Francis Berlioz Festival. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Spotify, click follow, Apple Podcasts, hit that plus sign, and hey, send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. Going to get the OBS beer coaster and the OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take. Got a great crew on the show this week with Oliver Camacho. I think it's the Festival Berrios. Berrios. <laughs> yeah. Oui. Weston Williams, how, how do you feel about the Berlioz Festival? Is that uh, on the bucket list? I don't, I don't parlez-vous, Francie. Yeah, he's Yikes. not a Berlioz. I mean, if you've been no, listening to not. this podcast, I don't think he could name uh, four Berlioz operas. Are there four Berlioz operas? <laughs> Ashley, yeah. Hardgrave, uh, Berlioz Festival or Bears Game? Which would you rather? Ooh, the classic I question. mean, obviously B, but you're talking to me. You wouldn't get the same answer from everybody else on the panel. Um, when we're talking about college football, one thing we can definitely predict now is that Arizona State will not be in a bowl game this year. They have <laughs> self-imposed a bowl ban on themselves since there are still investigations into the former head coach Edwards uh, for his uh, improprieties, his alleged improprieties in terms of hosting high school recruits and flouting uh COVID restrictions. So uh, sorry to Arizona State. Sorry to their seniors because they definitely won't have a shot at a bowl game this year. It's too bad. Of course, uh, the OBS, we got it right. And we picked Spain as the winner of the Women's World Cup. That was the good news. The bad news was the head of Spanish football who managed to completely steal the thunder from the women's team with his boneheaded actions, which I'm not going to repeat Along with a kiss. That would be one of those boneheaded actions. This is the this guy's behavior is so clownish. He cannot shut up and he cannot go away. What is it going to take? Let us talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. As uh, the OBS wraps up season eight, we're looking back at some favorite episodes of ours. We're going to handicap the men's draw of the U.S. Open. And of course, look ahead for a new season of college football, the most wonderful time of the year. It's been a great season. If each of us had to pick a fave or two episodes, and of course, all of these are archived Mm. on your spotify or your apple podcasts feed i'm trying to think what where would we begin who's got just that absolute fave episode i'll be honest as the audio editor they're all exactly the same to me i literally don't remember (laughs) what we did last week i'm like a goldfish i'm just like i'm sitting there i'm editing and then it's like oh wow i did it and then i leaves my head forever i do think though one that if i scroll back on our 
lovely archives. Uh, I, I do see a couple of titles that look vaguely familiar, remembered as if in a dream. Uh, and I think we, I think one thing that we have that happens a lot, we're uh, we're really good at calling sporting matches. The finals, but not the semifinals. We did the same thing for the World Cup uh, uh, Argentina win in December. And more recently, just a few weeks ago, we get we called the Women's World Cup both times. We did not get the semifinalists, but we did get that final correct every single time. So is it infallible? Yes. Is it a weird meandering way to get there? Also, yes. And that's OBS (laughs) for you. Ashley Hardgrave, what is a memorable episode from the past season? Uh, I definitely have to go with Opera's favorite hype girl that I fought very excitedly to get an interview for for the show. And that is the magical VP of, I believe, engagement over at Opera Delaware, who is the <laughs> one, the only Carrie Ann Atanyo. She oh, is such a delight. She's wonderful to talk to. She is exactly what the opera world needs right now in terms of getting engagement from different generations, from having candid conversations and breaking stereotypes in opera. She actually just did uh, a TEDx talk over this weekend mm. about uh, about opera singers and engagement and how um, how organizations can can use some of those things to help boost their organization. She's, she's just a delight. Uh, I hope we get her on the show again next season. And I am I'm just thrilled we got to have her. So fun. I remember meeting her at the Opera America conference in May. And like, when you spoke to her, you just couldn't stop smiling and feeling great. She's just a ray of sunshine. Just a ray of sunshine. Oliver Camacho. Well, I'm surprised, Georgette, you didn't lead with the stats because that's more your personality. Uh, For those of you who are interested, our top three episodes of the last 12 months were starting with the third most popular episode. Uh, Chicago is a countertenor town uh, featuring interviews with our friend Arya Nussbaum Cohn and Michael Skarkey while he was singing at Haymarket Opera here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Our second most listened to episode of this season was called To Boo or Not To Boo featuring Megan Gillis. Uh, Megan Gillis's fans came out in big numbers to hear her talk <laughs> to us. And our most popular episode of the season eight of Opera Box Score was early on in the year Met Moneyball, where we made predictions for the 2023 uh, yes. season. Uh, so go figure. Um, my favorite episodes have to be when Matt uh, just takes over oh, and drives. Yes. And um, he did a really lovely tribute to Martina Arroyo. It was mm. like a Black, Beautiful, and Prepared. And then we also had uh, a timely episode, a tribute to Grace Bumbry. I think that one was called 42 Bows or something like that. I forget, but um, you'll find it. Uh, you're going to spend Labor Day weekend just listening to episodes <laughs> you missed or re-listening to your favorites. Uh, that's what we do during Labor Day while I'm watching the U.S. Open. <laughs> I want to definitely dovetail on this and just uh, a note for the listeners. I get the distinct privilege of getting to see our team's faces on the Zoom while we record these. And even though it wasn't one of the ones you mentioned, Oliver, hearing both of you and watching both of you speak about Renata Scotto last week, it was mm-hmm. such a joy to see you guys talking about something you love in an art form that you – it was just – it's an embarrassment of riches. So thank you. For well, that. there's still time for that episode to catch up in the numbers, but it's that's true. Good news, so. Make 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 this episode obsolete. Make what we're talking about completely incorrect. <laughs> Go find find the worst episode in our library and just blow it up. You know, <laughs> oh, go for it. 
And for me, it's a tie. I think back to November of last year when we were talking about the opera Gods of the Game, which was at Grange Park Opera in England. And I got to talk to the general director there, um, Wasfi Kani, who was Mm. so hilariously funny. It's a tie between being able to talk to her and, of course, being able to talk to director David Alden, surrounded by the beauty of Santa Fe and looking into the eyes of one of my just uh, the gods of the game. How can I put it? And the stars in your eyes. I did. The U.S. It might have Open, also been the altitude. <laughs> it was a little bit column A and a little column B. Yeah. So there they are in Flushing Meadows on the courts. It's day one of the U.S. Open, and we spent a lot of time this year talking about women. So today we're going to make it very, uh, you, you know, patriarchy. Uh, I'm going to handicap uh, the eight <laughs> seeds of the men's draw of the U.S. Open. Uh, starting with number eight, uh, Andre Rublev, 25-year-old Russian, hasn't won a Grand Slam yet, and he's very hungry. He is well-loved by his colleagues on the tour. Uh, he's achieved a high rank of five. He's currently number eight, but he is, he has, he's still in the top 10 very regularly. He's an aggressive baseliner and a consistent quarterfinalist, but he has yet to break through to a final and to winning a Grand Slam. Uh, I'm going to, Draw a relationship to the bel canto Russian specialist Max Mirnov, who uh, the conoscenti of opera know all about him and adore him, but he has not yet made it into the big leagues. Nobody, he doesn't have high name recognition. In number seven seed uh, for the men's draw, uh, we have the 25 year old Greek Stefanos Tsitsipas. A, a player who has won my heart, even though he is a big <laughs> douchebag, according to everybody else <laughs> on the tour. Uh, definitely the peacock of the eight. A hardcore specialist, uh, finalist in the 2021 French Open, uh, reached a career high of uh, number three in 2021. Some people say that he has been distracted by his current relationship with fellow tennis player Paula Badoza. Uh, all of these players I love. I'm not taking anybody down a peg but if i have to think of somebody who you know reached certain highs but maybe has been distracted by relationships and maybe is too good looking for his own good i'm going to compare him to charlie castronovo friend of the show (laughs) (laughs) thanks for coming on charlie we'll see you never again I love Charlie. He knows that. Uh, coming in at number six, the sixth seed this year is the 22-year-old Italian redhead, Yannick Sinner. Uh, he's reached a career high of six, and that's where he is right now. Hasn't won a slam yet, but he was one half of the most thrilling quarterfinal in last year's Open. The second longest match in U.S. Open history, coming in at five hours and 15 minutes. Can you imagine mm. doing anything for five? Not even a Wagner opera reaches five hours. So this was a Man. long match. You have to break out Prokofiev's War and Peace for that. that that match finished at 2.50 a.m., and it was a thriller. Uh, and he is definitely setting up a rivalry with the world number one, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, who's only two years younger than him. I'm going to go ahead and compare him to the young Jack Swanson, who is taking the world by storm. I heard him singing uh, in Barbara Seville in Santa Fe two years ago. He'll be coming to Chicago to sing Don Ramiro in Chenarentola, or the Prince Ramiro in Chenarentola. Uh, look out for Jack Swanson.
Number five is Casper Ruud, the 24-year-old Norwegian who has been up and down. He's a finalist in one Grand Slam, and then he's out in the second round in the next Grand Slam. Uh, he's consistently inconsistent. Uh, he is a three-time Grand Slam finalist. He's reached a career high of second in rankings. Um, he is the only person in the current eight besides uh, Djokovic, Medvedev, and Alcaraz who has reached a... Uh, well, besides Tsitsipas. Okay, he's one of four people to reach uh, a Grand Slam final in this uh, top eight seed. Um, he is a defensive clay court specialist. Uh, some people say that he's predictable. I'm going to go ahead and compare him to Javier Camarena, uh, a bel canto specialist mm. and somewhat of an, I don't want to say predictable singer, but I don't think anybody yet has been completely blown away by what Camarena does. Uh, even though he is clearly a brilliant talent. And yes, he probably will never come on Opera Box course. So kiss that <laughs> <and> goodbye. <laughs> Hogaruna, uh, the Danish uh, youth is out in the first round. So we don't have to talk mm. about him. Oh. We could, but we're not going to. We're now at the <laughs> That's third someone seed. someone who is already not invited back, I guess. <laughs> we're now talking about the third seed, Daniel Medvedev, who is one of the funniest players on the tour. Uh, hilarious guy, jokester, but he's also disliked because he's often very grumpy. Uh, he is the 2021 U.S. Open champion. Uh, he's the person that stood in the way of Novak Djokovic completing the calendar Grand Slam in 2021. He has reached number one in the rankings. He's currently number three. Uh, he's not really part of the conversation this year, even though he is a threat. Uh, everybody's talking about the second and first seeds, uh, which we'll get to right away. I'll just say that who are we not talking about who is a threat? I think it's Pyotr Bichawa. Mm. You know, he's he is the tenor yeah, who like yeah. is doing all the jobs, but we don't talk about him. <laughs> this Novak man Djokovic, is a threat. <laughs> Novak Djokovic is the number two seed, but most people expect him to win just as they expected him to win at Wimbledon, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, he remember, remembered that he retired in the fourth round in 2019 at the U.S. Open. He was disqualified in 2020 for accidentally hitting a linesman in the throat with a tennis ball. Uh, he was defeated by Medvedev in 2021. And uh, he didn't compete in 2022 because he's an anti-vaxxer. So it's not since, since 2018 since he's won the U.S. Open. Uh, but he is, by all uh, you know, his accomplishments, he is really the greatest of all time, even though nobody thinks of him as it. But if you're going by the data alone, he is the greatest of all time. And I'll just compare him to Jonas Kaufman because I don't think we're ever going to get Jonas on the show. <laughs> Not with that attitude. Well, I mean, I'm really yeah. excited for uh, Djokovic's uh, Christmas album coming out later this year. His if second only. album? He's doing another second al another Christmas album? No, I'm talking about no, Djokovic. Djokovic. Oh, Djokovic. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that leaves the number one seed, the Spaniard, 20-year-old Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, who is really jockeying uh, with Djokovic for the win this year. Mm. Uh, once again, he won last year's U.S. Open, and he won this year's Wimbledon. Uh, I am hoping that he's going to take it to the finish line this year again, and I'm going to compare him to the American debutante, uh, but well-loved in England already, Freddie de Tomaso, and we'll go out with a little bit of Freddie de Tomaso's uh, new album, Il Tenore. Sure. 
great recap of what to look for at Flushing Meadows right now. And of course, how opera is intersecting with that. Lastly, for our recap, some changes to NCAA college football. Ashley, Mm -hmm. there's a handful of them. What are the most important? Absolutely. So these are uh, rule changes that are somewhat similar to what the NFL implemented last season to help reduce some of the some of the game time. This is only happening in Division One and Two schools. D three has actually petitioned for a review, so it's only going to happen in the upper two divisions of the NCAA, not the third. Uh, probably the biggest one is going to be the game clock. So the game clock is going to continue to run even after a first down is gained. There's a big Big tradition of having, you know, the game clock stop and it puts a lot of drag and, you know, losing momentum after getting that first down. So this season in D1 and DT, it will only stop if the down is in the last two minutes of the half. So that's the that's, operatic that's, equivalent of basically doing a scene change while the music is playing at the same time. So the whole that thing is gets exactly to what it's like. Yes, yes. <laughs> good call. Good parallel. Uh, so that's the first one. Uh, one of there are six, but I'll I'll highlight a handful. So the teams are going to be prohibited from calling consecutive team timeouts. Basically, there's a mm. there's a thing uh, you know sometimes used to like they call it icing the kicker kicker. Excuse me, uh, where they will call back to back timeouts again in a way to sort of stop momentum, get that, you know, get that momentum down so that they can continue to call those timeouts. So in college football, teams only get three timeouts per half. Each of those are 90 seconds, which is 30 seconds less than what you see in the NFL. Uh, But this season, starting now, they will be prohibited from calling consecutive team timeouts. Now, George, do you have an opera parallel for this? I'm trying to think about this. Is this like making it so that the big arias are evenly spaced out across the show so it actually makes it easier to sing it? This rule makes it easier to kick a field goal and you you can't play any mental mind yeah. games anymore. Don't don't let the soprano and the tenor blow their top in the same part of the first act. Uh, okay, so next on the list is going to be the penalties that are at the end of the first and the third quarters. They are now going to carry over and be enforced in the first play of the next quarter. So it used to be just as soon as the the quarter ended, regardless of what the penalty was in the last play, it was just like an etch-a-sketch. He shook it and then you started over. But this year they're going to carry over. I legitimately didn't know that was the, wasn't the rule already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually there's like just, again, a big stoppage of time and then everything resets. So hmm. this season, nope, it's going to carry over into the next quarter. I sort of feel George. like that's, that's the arts world at large, but especially opera, uh, enforcing these new DEI strategies and trying to make sure seasons are inclusive <laughs> and that hiring is inclusive. Yeah, no, no, wow. it's, a, it's a penalty season for being here. It's a penalty for being racist for the past 400 years. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and Finally, uh, this one, I'm just going to read verbatim because it makes me giggle every time. When teams are on the field, drones are not allowed over the playing surface or the team area. So just like that Washington National Opera production that was sponsored by what? Like, what was that? Lockheed? There are connections to everything. That hasn't happened yet. That's grounded. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. So yeah, if you were thinking about bringing your drone to the uh, the SEC season opener this year, and I was. Sorry, I regret to inform you, no drones will be allowed on the playing surface. Oh my gosh, what a great roster of rules! These games are going to go quicker. They really are going to go quicker. 
I would agree. Um, you know, I actually, we t- just really quickly, we spoke very briefly on the Major League Baseball changes and their attempt to shorten the games. I got to see that in practice about a week and a half ago. Uh, so I went to I went to a Cubs-Royals game, and sure enough, I was like planning on being there for many, many hours. We clocked in under three hours, so they're working. Sometimes you just got to cut some retrotativa to make it work. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. You click follow on Apple Podcasts. You hit the plus sign. It is once again time to Festival O. Opera Philadelphia is back with the fifth iteration of its annual season opening festival. O23 brings a star-studded lineup of 33 performances to six venues over 11 days from September 21 to October 1st. Highlights include the world premiere of 10 Days in a Madhouse from composer Renee Orth and librettist Hannah Moscovich about the work of trailblazing reporter Nellie Bly, this new opera star soprano Kira Duffy as Nellie, friend of the show mezzo-soprano Rayanne Bryce Davis in her company debut as Lizzie, and friend of the show baritone Will Liverman as Dr. Blackwell. Verdi's Simone Bocanegra returns to the Academy of Music for the first time in 40 years, with baritone and friend of the show Quinn Kelsey in the title role, soprano Ana Maria Martinez as his long-lost daughter Amelia, bass Christian Van Horn as Fiesco, and tenor Richard Trey Smauger as Gabriele. The New York Times calls Festival O a hotbed of operatic innovation. Find out why. Visit operafilla.org, that is O-P-E-R-A-P-H-I-L-A dot org, or call 215-732-8400 and ask for Jeff, winner of last season's Opera Philadelphia Fantasy Football League, and save 25% off your order with the promo code, and write this down, George Stinks. Yeah, no, seriously, that is actually the promo code. Use George Stinks at operafilla.org. Again, that's all one word, capital G, capital S, just like the way we're all thinking that George Stinks. One word, capital G, capital S, write it down, think about it, memorize it, internalize it. George Stinks, operafilla.org. I ain't got something to say. Then yeah, all right, you can say something. This is Listener Mailbag. It's the end of Season 8 on the OBS. We're getting ready for Season 9. Reaching into the Listener Mailbag, and it's been full, and a lot else has been going on in Opera Land, and we're finally getting down to some of these stories, some from the summer, some that are looking ahead. But Weston, let's start with what you have pulled out of the mailbag. I have a very nice letter here from Gianmarco Segato, who is actually the former editor of Opera Canada. And he's writing uh, in reference to last week's episode that I missed. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you for your intelligent, well-considered appraisal of the Met Guild slash Opera News story. It was gratifying to hear you talk about it in such a measured, honest way. While many online have echoed your own sadness and disappointment that Opera News is being shuttered, I've also been reading comments that almost rejoice in the closure, or at least a lot of they-don't-move-with-the-times type of sentiments. As I've written elsewhere, did any of these people actually crack open an issue of Opera News in the past few years to actually see what type of content they were producing? 
I especially liked the way you pointed out how comprehensive their coverage was of smaller companies, i.e. they really endeavored to write about opera in North America from top to bottom in terms of the types of companies it reviewed and featured in longer form pieces. It takes a good editor paying good writers to achieve that sort of content. Sure, as you pointed out, they may have been criticized for not having a podcast, for not having a more robust online presence, etc., etc., but as a former editor of another North American opera magazine, Opera Canada, I can tell you that achieving all of this is easier said than done. Putting out a good print publication as Opera News did on a monthly basis with limited staff is a huge undertaking. And I completely agree with John Marco there. Thank, thank you so you, much Marco. for writing in. We really appreciate the kind words. And I think you did bring bring forth some of the stuff that uh, I would have talked about if I had been on the show. I will add that um, Opera, the Met Opera Guild does have a podcast. Uh, and it's actually a very good podcast if you are interested in uh, previewing a show you're about to see, like getting some information. Uh, sometimes they bring on musicologists. Sometimes they bring on... Um, like singers or uh, what do you call this dramaturgs uh, to preview a show. They're not all good, but some of them are are, are pretty good. Uh, but it's not branded as an opera news podcast. It's the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. Right. Speaking of the Met, PJ left us a voicemail with his hot take on the upcoming season. Hello, Opera Box Score. It's so nice to be back with you all. It's PJ here in New York. I'm with Donald Levine. Donald, tell us a little bit about what you're hoping for, what you're looking forward to for the Met season coming up in the next uh, couple months. Okay, well, I'm about Laboemd out and Turandot out, <laughs> so I'm not looking forward to that. They were both uh, uh, at least 17 performances too many. So, but they're doing Verdi's on Balo in Mascara and his La Forza del Destino. Uh, Balo they did about seven or eight years ago, but Forza hasn't been done in 20 years. And that's going, that is, is a major new production. Um, from what I've seen of the production uh, beforehand, I think the production is going to be a disaster. But singing-wise, it's going to be very good. Uh, the great young dramatic soprano Lisa Davidson is singing Leonore, and I can't wait for that. They're doing uh, Florencia in El Amazonas. By what Dan is this thing? That's I'm excited. That's by Daniel Catan. I saw it out on the West Coast a number of years ago. It's a beautiful opera, and uh, it takes place. Uh, Florencia is an opera singer that gets stranded in the Amazon, basically. <laughs> Super cool. They're doing uh, re reviving the hours. Hey, hey, hey! Don't don't just rush by that. I saw the premiere, the world yeah. premiere. I loved it. And I'm it's really coming, glad it's, it's, coming, coming, it's back. coming back. That was May. amazing. May 24. And uh, what else what you got? got? We got Nabucco. We got El Nino, which is John Adams, a new work by John. No production. Now you're talking to me. I can't wait for that. That's the yeah. kind of stuff I really dig. Uh, Gounod's Romeo and Juliet. And one of my favorite Puccini's, La Rondine, hardly ever done. Yeah. But a beautiful, beautiful, it means the swallow. We call it Rondine. Is that Rondine. wrong? Is that La, wrong? La Rondine. La, La, La Rondine. La Rondine. <laughs> They're also doing the Verdi Requiem in September when they open the season. They're going to do a, a couple of performances of the Verdi Requiem. It's going to, oh, oh, finally. Uh, in November, they're doing The Life and Times of Malcolm X. Mm. So that's a new work. You, you missed Fire. They're doing Fire again. I liked it, but I thought Champion was better. Okay, okay. Dead Man Walking. Yeah, what about, about that? Jake Heggie. Tell I, us saw that, I saw that in San Francisco years ago. It's about time the Met got around to it. 
and uh, it's going to be a good season. It's going to be an interesting season. It's a little bit of a shorter season, as we all know, but it's going to be fabulous. Ah, September 14th, Lisa Davidson's giving a concert. i got to go to that. And, uh, of course, Butterfly is coming back. And uh, Nabucco, Orfeo and Eurydice, and, uh, oh, Wagner's Tannhäuser. That'll be fun. This may be the last. It is one of the last of the great old productions at the Met. And this may be its last go-round. Mm. And uh, it's very well cast. I, I don't remember the cast now, but it's very well cast. I remembered that. So it's PJ and Donald once again for you at Opera Box Score. We're excited for the upcoming season. Can't wait to report from the Met. See oh, you later. We will. We will. <laughs> See ya. Thanks, PJ. We love you. <laughs> PJ, you're just the best. You're the best. He's coming for our jobs. I'm telling you guys, quick, get out before <laughs> exactly. it's too late. Wrong. In re response to some of our summer opera conversations, Catherine in St. Paul, Minnesota, wrote in from Des Moines Metro Opera. I didn't make a voice report like Patrick does from the Metropolitan <laughs> Opera. Maybe next time. Catherine says, I saw one main stage in both second stage shows. Love for Three Oranges was a silly opera, which should be done more often. Good Amen. music with archetype characters. Driving While Black had one singer and two instrumentalists with some spoken lines. There were bulletins interspersed with songs. The opera personalized headlines for me in the way that reading about another black man shot by police or otherwise killed does not resonate. Lastly, Falling and the Rising was an opera that ripped my heart out, says Catherine. I wasn't the only one blowing my nose at the end from crying. This is the third opera that Des Moines has staged at Camp Dodge, an active Iowa National Guard base. Previous operas there were Soldier Songs and Glory Denied. There's extra resonance to me as an audience member when watching an opera with a military person as the main character in an active military facility. The dress rehearsal was open to service members. And Catherine signs off, Des Moines brings opera out into the community and brings the community into opera. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Catherine. We need to send her a little uh, Zoom recorder, you know, so she can do her field report. <laughs> From the heartland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what if we got branded field recorders with the OBS so you could get that with Yikes. your pin and yeah. your, uh, your, you know. I think iPhones actually make pretty decent recording. So, George, can you send people iPhones who want to do... <laughs> Just got to get that tie in with um, Apple and then I'll sure. be handing them sure, out sure. like pancakes. <laughs> Lastly, based on our segment about augmented reality at Bayreuth, Kenny in Flint writes, quote, I'm a Jay Scheib fan. That's the director of that show. Ever since he adapted portions of Samuel R. Delaney's Dahlgren for the stage, I was shocked to hear that he is directing and designing Parsifal. I guess I don't follow Bayreuth like I used to. You're missing Get out. this. It turns out that Jay Scheib, to create this augmented reality, worked with the eggheads at MIT and mapped and coded all of the augmented reality from each individual seat at Bayreuth. Oh. <laughs> wow. And then they only used two. <laughs> only used yeah, like what and then they tip. only used a, a tenth of it, but hey. Oh, my God. What an it's industry we are in sometimes. Counts. What an industry. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. You're going to get the OBS beer coaster, the OBS lapel pin, and apparently the OBS Apple phone tie-in <laughs> just for sharing your own hot take. Right now, you're going to get the two-minute drill. This just in. 
the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. Conductor John Elliott Gardner slapped and punched bass William Thomas after performance of Les Troyens at the Festival Berlioz. Gardner issued a statement of apology saying that he, quote, makes no excuses for my behavior and that he would be withdrawing from conducting the work at the BBC proms later this year. A representative for Gardner said the conductor was suffering from a recent medication change and extreme heat. Thomas's agent said that the bass had no statement at this time, but that Quote, all musicians deserve the right to practice their art in an environment free from abuse or physical harm. Baritone Sam Schultz, the whistleblower at the center of the David Daniels trial, has spoken publicly for the first time since the countertenor pled guilty to second-degree sexual assault. In an interview with NPR, Schultz said they admitted their guilt in court on Friday after spending the last five years lying about their innocence. After pleading guilty, the judge asked Daniels, you're pleading guilty because you are guilty? Yes. There's no other reason you're pleading guilty? No. Hearing that full and complete admission of guilt with no qualification was overwhelmingly powerful. David Daniels announced on Facebook Facebook that he has received inquiries for a return to professional singing engagements in Europe. Two anonymous posts on Facebook's Classical Singer Forum call supporters or sympathizers of David Daniels to task, resulting in Daniels changing his post to private, but not before the comments were screenshotted and a spreadsheet of those supporters were put online. Friends of the show and editors of Opera Wire were forced by lawyers for David Daniels to change the headline of an article. The updated article removes the word convicted from the phrase convicted sex offender, noting that in the state of Texas, Daniels is not in fact convicted by the legal definition of the word. A statement has been released by the Simonovsky International Music Competition explaining the decision to remove Russian music from the competition program. Quote, Given the sensitivity to Russian culture present in Poland, and as a gesture of solidarity with the Ukrainian people, it was decided that no works by Russian composers would be performed. We remained hopeful to the very last moment that the conflict abroad would end peacefully without having to make such decisions. This ban has resulted in director Francesca Zambello withdrawing from the competition's voice jury panel. In a letter to the competition, she said, quote, I have just heard about your rules for the exclusion of Russian repertoire. I am against the actions of President Putin, but I am not against Russian history, music, or art. I am also a recipient of the Medal for Service to Culture to Russia. I am also the artistic leader of the Washington National Opera representing the United States for culture. I hope when peace prevails, we can try again. The Anti-Defamation League is defending Bradley Cooper's new film Maestro amid claims of anti-Semitism. In a statement, the ADL said, quote, throughout history, Jews were often portrayed in anti-Semitic films and propaganda as evil caricatures with large hooked noses. This film, which is a biopic pick on the legendary conductor Leonard Bernstein is not that. Bernstein's three children also released a statement supporting the film and applauding Bradley Cooper's interaction and inclusion of the family in the creative process. Congratulations to Jasmine White, the winner of the Queen Sonia competition. The American contralto trained at University of Southern California, Cincinnati Conservatory, and Juilliard. Her final program with the Monet Orchestra included Mahler's Urlicht from Das Knaben Wunderhorn, Arsace's Cabatina from Semiramide by Rossini, a bop, and Weiche Botan <laughs> Weiche, the piece that Weston will play to his future baby from Wagner's Das Weingold <laughs> as a lullaby. <laughs> 
In trade news, Patty Isaacson Sabi has been named Detroit Opera's next president and CEO, succeeding Wayne Brown. Sabi previously served at Seattle Symphony and Seattle's Museum of Pop Culture. American tenor Stephen Gould has announced his retirement via his agency. For health reasons, Stephen Gould is unfortunately forced to cancel all upcoming engagements. However, he looks back with gratitude on his 30-year career. On the disabled list, San Francisco Opera has announced a cast change for Trovatore. Mezzo Ekaterina Zemanchuk will perform the role of Azucena in all performances, replacing Anita Rachvelishvili, who has withdrawn for personal reasons. Exit stage right, bass baritone Robert Hale has died at the age of 90. His signature roles included Wotan in The Ring Cycle and the title role in The Flying Dutchman. He's also known for his portrayals of Scarpia and Johannaan. And on this day, August 28th, it is a day that Johann Josef Fuchs premiered four operas in 1719. Really <laughs> in 1790, it was Elisa. In 1723, it was Constanza e Fortezza. In 1726, La Corona d'Ariana, and in 1731, Enea negli Elisi, or The Temple of Eternity. Just everyone's favorite operas. Johann Adolf Hasse snuck one in in 1730 that was called <laughs> Arminio. In 1733, after the, the Fuxessance, we had Giovanni <laughs> Battisti Pergolesi opera La Serva Padrona. In 1850, it took a long time for people to recover from Fuchs. Uh, we had Wagner's <laughs> Lohengrin, which was conducted by Franz Liszt at its premiere. And in 1971, John Francesco Malipiero tried to compete with Fuchs by premiering two operas, uh, L'Iscariota and Uno dei Dieci, both on in 1971 or 1970. Who knows? There's no good information on the internet at all. <laughs> <laughs> Birthdays include Umberto Giordano, born this day in 1867. Conductor Carl Böhm, born this day in 1894. Tenor Richard Tucker, we've heard of him, born in 1913. Hungarian conductor Istvan Kertes, born in 1929. Dutch soprano Christina Deutkamp in 1931. Also, John Shirley Quirk, born in 1931. Uh, happy birthday to Paul Pliska, born in 1941. And in 1949, August 28th, it was the founding of the Aspen Music Festival as part of the 200th anniversary of Goethe's birth. And that is your two-minute drill. Confused. That was not a Fuchs clip. Yeah, this is Christina Deutkamp. <laughs> oh, that's what you're saying this, this right is, now. This, okay, this is the bit. This is the okay, bit. Okay, so <laughs> we're we're back live. Okay, okay yeah. so um, this is a recording that freaked me out when I was what 13 years old. What what? How old were you when you were a freshman in high school? Uh, 13, 14. Yeah, yeah 14. I was like when I was 13, right. and remains one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard in my life. And I always play for people when I want to scare them at what opera singers can do. <laughs> <laughs> that was Christina Deutkamp from the studio recording conducted by George Schulte of Magic Flute. 
Well, clearly opera singers do some crazy stuff as evidenced by the drill and conductors also do crazy stuff as well. I feel like we're in a very dark period in opera land right now between this week and last week. You know, my wife actually sent me the link to the John Elliott Gardner story. She was like, oh, did, did you see this? I said, no. She's like, yeah, apparently this conductor hit somebody. Oh, yeah. Who's that? John Elliott Gardner. Oh, yeah. Really nice guy. She's like, uh, no. Apparently not. Well, this story has been slow burning uh, since it started, but it actually brought to light a lot of his other bad behavior. And um, exactly. He has a reputation for bullying. Uh, I know from personal accounts that uh, a singer pulled out of the, I shouldn't say which tour, but a very famous tour that happened not long ago. They would not tolerate John yeah. Gardner. I'm not going to gender that person. Yeah. Um, so um, this is tough because... As somebody who works with recordings, um, we have a lot of assets that have that name on it, a lot, and not just the recordings that he, uh, you know, uh, started like with his label Soli Deo Gloria, uh, which features the Monteverdi Choir and the English Broke Soloists, and now the period orchestra that does not Baroque music, the Orchestre Révolutionnaire et Romantique. Just those three organizations alone, you know, uh, are probably around 100 different recordings if not more then there's all the stuff that he conducted that weren't his bands you know so it touches on a lot of areas of um classical music not just uh historical performances and if he if he gets canceled um well i guess that makes room for all the other bands to come out you know <laughs> well i mean what, what do you do right so william thomas the bass is 29 years old so first mm -hmm. of all like you're not going to hit anyone back because yeah. that's bogus. You're not going to hit an 80-year-old man back because that's bogus. And you're not going to hit Sir John Elliot Gardner back. So like, what What do you do? What can you do? Well, I think they did the right thing. They, like they did he, the right thing. Yeah. He spoke about it. Um, uh, the, the media went, uh, took it up really quickly. Um, I, you know, I don't know how much I believe necessarily the medication and it was hot defense. Um, I do think that there was a very quick apology from gardner's agent at least so that's something i suppose this is this just one of those things where uh you know it's it's i mean i i don't want to like make light of anything here but but like you know it's 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 almost comical to have this 80 year old man punch and slap someone after performance and it, it's almost like it, it's almost hard to wrap your head around because it's so strange and out of the because blue. he used the wrong exit yeah yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous yeah. I, just, I just wish that we all lived in a world where we could expect the same level of appropriate behavior mm -hmm. of an international artistic superstar that yep. we try to instill in the toddlers that we're raising. <laughs> yes. We instruct toddlers not to hit. Yep. And that is a battle in and of itself. How is it that we have changed that bar so drastically for someone based on their artistic prowess? Yeah. I would say That's that, fair. I mean... This is not as far from being over in terms of um, the patriarchy and hero worship in classical music, but I think the the uh, the dominoes are starting to fall, or the brooks are starting to fall, whatever metaphor you want to use there, where we're these things are now being documented and right. people are being held accountable, and hopefully some of these other offenders are just about to retire or they're going to see what can happen to somebody like Johnny the Gardener and say, uh oh, I better I better think twice before I. 
react the way I think I should react because I've been treated like a genius my whole life and that I can do yeah. no wrong, you know? Especially some of these older school conductors, you know, they really do have these God complexes. You know, they <laughs> they can do no wrong because they remember the era where people would speak very publicly about how brilliant and talented they were, which is not so much anymore in the, you know, in the classical music world, nor should it be. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's so even like, you know, not not like even like recently dead conductors, you know, you'll read their biographies and you're like, wow, that should be messed up if, if that came out on Facebook today yeah, uh, that, right. you know, something would, you know, that they did that, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, a lot of them are getting are getting canceled, and that's a perfect segue. Go ahead, George. You were just well. David Daniels. Yeah. The last time he sang in an opera house was in San Francisco in 2018. We are five years on from that. The man has been into the courts. He's now out of the courts. Stories are still being written about him. Facebook posts are still being posted. Ashley, where does where does it start? Where does it end? What happens next? Well, let's start with the fact that according to him and his social media, European contracts are being offered to him. I think if we're going to talk about public offender number two, because he is public offender number one, based in the court of law, it's going to be the European houses that are allegedly offering him contracts. Respectfully, what the hell? What yeah. the hell? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so step one. Uh, so for those of you who aren't necessarily as down the opera social media rabbit hole as as any of my esteemed colleagues are, uh, the nutshell is that uh, Mr. Daniels posted on his personal Facebook account that he had been offered some contracts. He was excited to go and get started. And there was a, a dearth, a veritable who's who of the opera world, including people who have been on our airwaves, who were liking and commenting and congratulating and offering a version of support that for him that I can only describe as heartbreaking. I need to yeah. pause. I'm going to let my colleagues weigh in here as well. I, I mean, I, I think you put it, you know, just there where we are not, I don't think, going to say uh, a lot of these names because quite frankly we would like to be able to invite people on our show in the future and there are some big names on here uh very disappointing names uh i do think that you know uh there's a certain level uh you know of if you know someone who is you know a sex offender you know uh, there's always going to be people in their lives who are convinced that they didn't do it. You know, it, it's always going to happen. That's part of the reason why so much, you know, sexual violence is committed by family members and people that you trust because they're good at hiding it. And that's been the most generous I can be to a lot of these people that I've seen bouncing around the internet giving this support. They clearly don't believe that. David Daniels did what he admitted in court to doing. Um, and that is that is the most positive thing I can say about it. Just like you, Ashley, when I read it, like and saw a lot of the names, it was genuinely like, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm a little shaky right now, even saying it. Some some of the some of the names and like the level of support, then the unequivocal nature of the support 
is just truly like kind of mind boggling. Like even if you separate the moral question from it, like from like a PR perspective, what are you doing commenting on this on this this post in this incredibly positive way? Um, And uh, uh, and it's 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 something I'm still wrestling with. It's something I'm still thinking about uh, trying to have as much, you know, perspective as I can. But it is, it is like you said, Ashley, really heartbreaking. Hey, it's seized the end of season eight, so it's time to talk maybe a little bit about how the sausage is made, right? The, the challenge of this show for myself is how you part of this business, but also have to be in a position sometimes of challenging the decisions and the choices of people that you know that you've worked with that might end up employing you. Right. For me, there's nothing I say on this show that I, first of all, wouldn't say to someone else's face. And when I am critical, I'm critical not of people's character, but of people's behavior. David Daniels in the courts, I'm going to let the lawyers sort that out. His supporters posting on social media, this is what I will say, is think about your behavior, think about your choices, and think about what you are saying. It's just very complicated uh, to talk about this thing because there's a lot of different like threads this story and we only know um you know what we read what we know what we know what we know we only know what we know we, i don't know david daniels personally i've encountered him many times but i've never actually like become his friend or talked to him i had a conversation with him about anything i've seen his work i've seen him teach i know a lot of the people who are um you know who su- seem to have supported him in this uh, announcement that he made. I don't know if I equivocate their liking a Facebook post or, you know, congratulating him uh, with advocating or for, or, or, you know, um, denying that this is an issue in his life and this is a problem and that this is something disgraceful, you know? I think people can be redeemed I think people uh, deserve to have uh, their chance to make good and to uh, change. Um, It's the argument that is being made that I agree with is that, um, you know, this was a public post uh, and a lot of young people who are trying to make it in this industry or maybe critical of the industry see some people who are considered to be heroes in this industry, mm. social justice yeah. heroes on top of that, mm-hmm. uh, support apparently supporting this of uh, David Daniels and then questioning if they were wrong to consider those people to be heroes, you know, or to be their teachers or to have uh, power in a academic situation. It brings in so many questions. Um, but I don't personally think that a friend of the show you know, uh, congratulating David Daniels means that they don't believe Samuel Schultz. I feel a bit differently. Um, let's um, let's talk about a couple of things here. Let's talk about cognitive dissonance. Let's talk about biconceptualism. Let's talk about these, you know, fallen heroes of ours. There is a James Levine. Right. Towards the end of his life, there were some things that happened that came to light that had clearly been happening for much of his life, and they were heartbreaking to hear. You can still believe that he was a brilliant conductor and 
revel in his recordings, especially if they were a part of your music education, while still finding that behavior abhorrent, this and this behavior from these people is very different than that. This is especially, again, for those young singers that you mention. You know, Singer X is who I've idolized since I was a kid. I am now about to get the chance to study with them at Conservatory Y. I happen to come across a post. Let's say I'm somebody from a vulnerable group or a minority group, or perhaps I am a survivor. And then I mm. see this person who was my idol cheering on this person. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're in support of what this person did, but what it implicitly tells that student without saying it is that. I don't care about you in the way that you have idolized me. And that mm -hmm. is one of the things that I take great, great, great umbrage with. The other thing that I really respect here is the rule of law and the courts. And when it comes to, you know, can people change? Can people be redeemed? Officially, yes. This guy who was, who pled guilty, took the easy way out. Mm. Innocent people do not plead this type of case. The evidence in the Texas case was so overwhelming. So to avoid jail time, what they did was they pled guilty to a lesser charge. They got off incredibly easy based mm. on the hard evidence. And that is one of the things that really sticks in my gut about this. Again, I am not out of respect for this show and my colleagues on this show and all of you listeners. I'm not going to drill down into calling folks out. That's not necessarily what we do here. Mm -hmm. But when I tell right. you how red my face was when I saw this behavior, it, it really, really got to me. It's like we're fighting so hard for this art form we love. The house is on fire in so many other wings of the mansion. And yet yeah. this is happening. So it's um, it really, it really gets to me and it really breaks my heart. And I don't know what else to say. So we'll leave that there. We've we've all had our our say. Um, it's it is what it is, and it's um, yeah. We we all have feelings. Um, congratulations to Jasmine White, it's Queen Sonia <laughs> is is uh, is an impressive American contralto competition. extraordinaire. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so apparently she has coloratura and uh, you know loud notes. <laughs> Viker, yeah. deeply jealous. Good. I didn't. I Go wish I had a second chance to say that about Vikavotan. This is what you will play as a lullaby to your future child. That's I probably <laughs> will at some point. Yeah. It, you know, a lot play of kids are like, now. listen, <laughs> I, I do. She hears much weirder stuff. Uh, you yeah. know, everyone was like, Mozart, no, it's, a it's, a smart, it's a compromise. You know? It's like, you're not going to play Ligeti <laughs> when the baby's trying to go to sleep, but you will play Wagner. No problem. Just a little you know? middle period Wagner. It's fine. Yeah. I'm excited for the uh, Bernstein film, too. Yeah, I think this is the best publicity campaigns. Now that we cannot actually Are we advertise to be excited about it. Are we allowed? George we is allowed to be excited about it. <laughs> because of the, it? the the SAG strike. We can't, you know, uh, promote move or actors can't promote movies. But right. if you get the press to cover an yeah. issue about a movie, and I've read so many things about this, mm -hmm. and I don't even know what how I feel about it anymore. All I know is that like Bradley Cooper trying to do Leonard Bernstein a solid. Uh, whether or not this was a mistake to do the prosthetic nose, um, it's still good for classical music in general if people still like Bradley Cooper enough. I don't even know if Bradley Cooper is considered to be a movie star anymore because it's. I feel like he's fallen from grace at, at the top of the who we think of when we think of movie stars. But uh, I still like Bradley Cooper, um, and I will see this movie. And if that 
makes me canceled like liking like liking the movie tar <laughs> speaking of no, canceled conductors gonna, you know i like tar i liked it's it not gonna you know? get you canceled no the no shame, defamation honey. league is is making the right point which is saying look it's a biopic right which this actor is trying to physically represent this other person this is he's not it's not a caricature he's not mocking this individual this should move forward and progress i do feel like those feelings are on both sides of the God, it's it's so uncomfortable to say the phrase both sides now. It's been so tarnished. But <laughs> right, right. I have I have heard from friends who are terribly excited about this film because they love Leonard Bernstein. I also love Leonard Bernstein. I've also heard from people who are wildly frustrated that the representation they're seeing on film for the cultural group to which they belong mm-hmm. is is being enhanced with these pros- prosthetics. And and it's it's almost insult to injury for those folks that. The kids are behind it. Uh, I think the ADL kind of puts the final nail in the coffin mm-hmm. on this. Yeah. But um, I am, you know, I respect the feelings of folks who are incre- who are uncomfortable with this. But because I love Lenny so much, I I will probably <laughs> I will be in the front row for this. Probably front row of your couch because it's going to be released. I'm sure. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I'll, I'll invite you guys over. I'll make popcorn. We'll hang out. <laughs> Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. Season 8 is almost in the books. We're going to finish it off with Good Call, Bad Call. Oliver Camacho. I did a um, season preview lecture for a chapter of Lyric Opera of Chicago, and I had to do some research on the season and dig up a bunch of videos of uh, artists coming to Chicago. And you may or may not know that Lisa Davidson is making her Chicago debut in the role of Yenufa. Uh, And there there is actually a uh, YouTube of the complete Yennefer she did in concert. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in that, uh, but no while spoilers I was, for me, thank you. While I was looking, uh, I found from the recent Verbier Festival, like just happened like a minute ago, uh, Lisa Davidson singing with Yulia Matochkina, Sir Brin Terfel, and the aforementioned Freddie de Tomaso in the Verdi Requiem. And I oh. think it's really hard to um, get the idea of. Lisa Davidson's the scale of her voice by listening to her recordings because on her recordings she's singing with herself. You might find that um, she does some Tosca with Freddie De Tommaso on his tenor album, but you still can't really tell the the scale of a voice in a recording because it's engineered, it's balanced. You don't know how loud something is. But if you watch this Verdi Requiem, you hear Lisa Davidson soaring over a full orchestra and full choir and Brin Terabel, <laughs> you know? It's loud and it's very beautiful. It's beautiful so and it's artistic, but it's loud. So check out the Verdi Requiem on YouTube with Lisa Davidson. Weston Williams. Well, you know, uh, uh, college football season is upon us. The first Bama game of the season is this Saturday against the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. And you know what that means, George. I am in my closet, so I'm going to grab a, a little bit of a cloth to, to muffle. This is for you, George. A muffle little, it just a little bit. A little houndstooth cloth. Go ahead. Roll tie! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you welcome. wonder why the tide like goes undefeated when they're playing teams like that. Ashley Hardgrave. Well, college football does start this weekend, and my Arkansas Razorbacks are playing Western Carolina. So again, that'll be a humdinger. But officially, my good call for the end of season eight 
are my OBS boys. I am grateful every episode that I get to have with Oliver and Matt and Weston. And who's that other guy? George. That's right. George. George. I I value our... I value and respect our conversations. I am grateful that we get to be super fans of this world and culture and art that we love. So you gentlemen are my good call. Agreed. It's, a, it's always a, a thrill every Monday night to get together and talk about this art form that we love. Michigan opening, hosting East Carolina in their home <laughs> opener. My good call is the Opera on the Ball Fantasy Football League hosted by Opera Philadelphia. The draft will be in the books by the time you listen to this show. Tobias Wright and I will be on that slow march towards that trophy. We were so (laughs) close last season. I cannot tell you how close we got. I got a really good feeling about this year. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes, operaboxscore at gmail.com. Find links to stuff we've talked about at our website, operaboxscore.com. And that's also where you can put your money where our mouths are. Give back to the OBS on our donate page. Your announcer is Norm Waddell. Your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. And your audio editor is Weston Williams. For co-host Ashley Hardgrave, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera while we take one week off. Just one week. We're not quitting like other certain podcasts that you used to listen to. (laughs) So we are off next week for Labor Day here in the USA, but we're back with an all-new show. Thursday, September 14th, we kick off Season 9, Count It, of the OBS. We preview the 2023 O Festival from Philadelphia. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more Johann Josef Fuchs premieres. Hell yeah. Join us.